those space people a podcast series of casual cosmic conversations with people working on exciting space projects today we have ian stammers with us he is the head of rpo services and workforce solutions at sapienza consulting ian has a background in recruiting and he has previously worked with several recruitment companies and ian is currently based in brighton the uk welcome to the podcast hi vishana thank you for inviting us First of all, what's can you talk about what RPO services is? RPO is um it stands for recruitment process outsourcing. Um you you probably hear more and more about RPOs or outsourcing um as time goes on because recruitment nowadays is getting so much tougher uh, for companies around the world, especially within our industry. Um so recruitment process outsourcing it's just when a company can outsource either some of their positions for a specific project um or they can outsource the whole recruitment and when we act as a an extension of their HR department so we can work with their HRDs or CHROs um and go through the talent strategy what they need to do for the following you know year or two years and then we work closely to take away all the headache from them in terms of recruitment uh, and then they just outsource it to us so we act as an extension of the HR department ultimately um but yeah in terms of outsourcing you'll see a lot a lot more of this uh, RPO banded around within the industry for sure yeah yeah it's it's a tedious process completely agree so how does talent acquisition or does it not you know work differently in space versus other industries because you've had a lot of you worked with a lot of diverse recruitment companies in the past so probably you could throw some light on it yeah i mean when i started in recruitment i was faxing cvs to people <laughs> uh, shows my age uh, thankfully we don't do that anymore which is good um but you know in my opinion if you're a good recruiter you should be able to recruit for any industry um i would say but there are there are differences between sort of our industry and um others i mean for example with myself over the last 15 years i've been growing my network um across the globe within sort of space so you know made lots of friends placed hundreds of people but you can never stop you know expanding on your network you know the uh the skill set is changing the demand is changing all the time so you've got to be really on top of your game to keep up with the industry um you know for for my for my side as head of talent you know I'm responsible to make sure that we deliver not just into Sapienza uh but also into our our customers so you need to be on top of the strategy um you know how can you work more closely with sort of your marketing team as such um what you can do to attract certain profiles that are hard to source you've just got to be on top of the game all the time i mean we're actually quite fortunate that we're in this um industry that's seen record investment even through a pandemic um you know i do feel sorry for some of the other industries that have been hit you know the travel hospitality to- tourism and so forth um but yeah the industry is you know the technology is always changing um so you have to be really on top of your game and know okay the new technologies that are coming out try and get ahead of the game to build those pipeline to to source these candidates with limited skills that has those skills but it's a limited amount of them um and that's the only way you know you can't just stand still and think okay 
that's it. So it is tough, but you know, you have to be on top of your game always. Wow, I, I never knew. It's, it's so very insightful because as, a, as somebody working in a tech or an, for an engineer, I would imagine them to have to be on top of the game, but for the recruiters as well to catch up, this is... Uh... Yeah, I mean, if you look at kind of, I suppose if you look at investors many years ago, it used to be quite hard, well, it, it was hard to raise money. Um, now, raising money is a lot easier than what it used to be. The hardest part, if you ask any founder, is recruitment. That is the toughest part. You know, it's okay. You've, you know, most companies come to us when they've gone through a Series A or B round. Um, they've got the capital there. It's like, okay, we need a hundred people now, and it's like, okay. <laughs> um, so you know, the growth is, you know, it's just the demand is so big right now. Um, but yeah, ask any founder. Um, you know, recruitment is the toughest part for them because there's so many more companies that are around nowadays. As a candidate, you've got, you know, you've got unlimited, you know, companies that you can choose from. There's salaries going all over the place, um, you know, and uh, yeah, a lot of other companies are kind of struggling to keep up with these kind of new ventures. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, a lot of my friends who are entrepreneurs also struggle with this quite a lot. I, I'm pretty sure that one of the worst things that can happen to a company or a startup in the growth phase is hiring the wrong people for the job. Yeah, I mean, it's so important. If you get the hiring strategy wrong, that's the whole company. You know, you might have an amazing product, um, go to market strategies, right? But if you, if you don't have the right people, um, you know, you It's, it's, you've got to get it right and a lot of times you can only afford to get it wrong once or, or so and um, so it is critical to get you know the right people on board um, and have you know the right culture the, you know okay it's great to have a good brand and everything but um, yeah and especially now with obviously pandemic a lot of people can't go and travel they can't go and see an office they can't see colleagues where they would normally tend to work the environment so Yeah, it's uh, challenging times. How do you find people in the first place? And also interesting to me is how do you keep track of their talent trajectory, right? Because a person is always evolving, learning new technologies and new skill set. How do we find people? Um, I can't give away too many secrets. But uh, generally, you know, one is, as I mentioned before, having that network You know, you've got to be on top of your network constantly. Um, I mean, it's taken me, say, 15 years within sort of SATCOM space um, to have my network. Um, so that will only go so far. Um, we have our own, you know, we've been involved, Sapienza, 25 years within the space industry. We have our database that goes back about 20 years. So, you know, we have tens of thousands of candidates that are just specific to predominantly European space sector. Um But, you know, we utilize that. You need to, as a recruiter, know kind of who the, who the main players are. You need to know every segment of the industry, um, which companies are good, you know, i.e., you know, which candidates are good to headhunt from which companies, because obviously they've got a good reputation and, and so forth. Um, but as a recruiter, you really need to know uh, where, where it is you can source, not just like a space system engineer or something, you know, now it's quite more specific. For example, if a company comes to Sapienza, wants to outsource a load of positions, they need a, 
a digital and flexible payload engineer, for example, as a recruiter, you need to know exactly which companies you can go to get that person. A lot of times we're not competing with other agencies because we have the RPO, uh, which is great. But, you know, for agencies that are working in the contingency world, you're competing. So you've got to be quick to find these people before your competitor does. So, yeah, it's just industry knowledge, building a pipeline of candidates. You know, a lot of our customers, we go through the headcount for the whole year and then we start recruiting the people that they need in six months' time, but we don't do it now. We we'll, we make pipeline of candidates. So we know as soon as they give us a green light in six months' time, we've already got the candidates ready for them. Uh, so the recruitment process is a lot shorter rather than wait until six months and then it takes another three months or however long to, to recruit those people. So yeah, just making sure that you're on top of everything, you know in that what the new trends are in terms of the skill set that's coming through. You know, at the moment we're seeing a big demand in, you know, cloud computing, you know, DevOps. Um, everyone wants front and back end engineers, earth observation scientists and, and so forth. So you, you think, okay, right, let's make sure we have someone in the background that can just build up and build up all of these pipeline of candidates. So when customers come to us and say we need X, Y, and Z, we've already got it there. Yeah, that that's, uh, makes a lot of sense because most companies do panic hiring is what I feel. that, <laughs> And everybody, <Yeah. laughs> so they, they interview a new candidate and then they ask, okay, can you start yesterday? Exactly. I mean, this usually happens, um, you know, they, a company will win a new project, um, for example, or, you know, say one of the hardware manufacturers will win, you know, they, they're going to design or, or you know, two big satellites for, I know, one of the operators. Oh, we've won this, right, we need a load of more people. Um, but this, this is kind of good where the RPO comes in because people can outsource for like six months for a certain program. So if they don't have the capability in-house to recruit those people, they can just outsource and then that's taking the headache away. They don't need to hire people internally to then recruit these people. But yeah. Yeah, that that absolutely makes makes a lot of sense. How is recruitment different? Because you recruit for a lot of companies across the value chain. How is it different for, uh, let's say, upstream companies or downstream companies or let's say new space and established space, the mature players? Of course, there's probably a difference in terms of skill set, but in additionally, is, is there anything else? Um, if we, I mean, if we look at the, you know, not-for-profit space agencies, the old traditional space, uh, and we take that compared to a new space, it's two completely different worlds from a recruitment point of view. You, you look at the old, you know, if someone wants to work for a prestigious space agency, you know, the recruitment can take six, seven, eight months from date of application to onboarding. So um, as, you know, as a applicant, you need to know, okay, you've got to be patient. This is how it works. Um, but, you know, the reward is, you know, if you do get the job, you'll be working for you know, ESA, NASA, USPA, whoever it is. Um, so the reward is at the end of it. But it, it's not like new space where it's boom, boom, boom. And, you know, you can get hired within a couple of weeks. Um, the other, you know, qualifications within uh, traditional space uh, gain much more weight than they would within new space. Um, you know, ESA always want master's, PhD. Um, new space, not so often. Um, so there is that difference there uh, between the two. Um, in terms of upstream, downstream, you know, if we look at 
space now to what it was, say, 10 years ago. It's so much more accessible. So we're seeing a lot more activity with downstream applications. Um, you know, obviously we work with uh, ESA and UMITSAT, but we also work with many private earth observation, remote sensing companies uh, around the world who provide fantastic data for the end user. Um, all of these companies want big return on uh, on investment. So we're seeing, as I mentioned, you know, a big increase in recruitment for EO data scientists, data engineers, back-end, front-end engineers, uh, and so forth, or generally anyone that has kind of computer vision, machine learning um, background. Okay, okay, that's interesting. At what level do you usually recruit or headhunt? We don't really kind of get there on sort of the graduate level. Um, we, we help guide graduates and so forth, but really it's mid to um, CXO level. So, you know, in the last few years, we've placed um, CFOs, CTOs, MDs, uh, CCOs uh, all around the world within sort of satellite operators, um, smaller SMEs within sort of new space. Um, we work with uh, private equity organizations as well um but yeah predominantly mid to senior senior level um and that's globally and that's also across you know commercial um commercial roles and you know space systems engineering software engineering uh, and so forth if i may ask could you give any statistics or just a ballpark numbers on on this i'd say probably six I say seventy percent of people are mid to senior level um, in terms of engineers, um, and the rest C level. Okay, interesting. And about I don't know, a hundred people per year, or thousand people, or I don't have the exact figures. I mean, as a company, we work on well over five hundred positions a year. Um, we have different framework agreements with the agencies, uh, EU institutions new space companies and so forth um i can get that figure after <laughs> um but for now I, I don't have it but we as a team work on way over you know 500 roles a, a year and that's you know at the moment we're only working on retained work um we get inundated all the time with requests to, can you recruit here can we recruit here um you know the biggest challenge for me as head of talent is finding you know really good recruiters um, that we can then obviously take in more work and more work. Um, so the demand is out there. Um, it's, you know, it's just uh, finding good recruiters that, you know, will help you deliver um, all the future work. How do you evaluate the talent you find? Um, good question. We, we're slightly different to a, a recruitment agency because, you know, I think you met my colleagues in Bremen yeah. um, who work on the space software called Eclipse. So, you know, we have our own team of developers. Um, so we have people like, you know, ESA, um, OHB, Airbus that use the space software. So we have a team of developers that sit in the Netherlands. We also have a team that are in uh, North Macedonia. Um, I'm actually building out a recruitment team that are in North Macedonia. And the recruiters, because a lot of the work that we recruit now is software development. Um, our recruiters actually, they first will interview a candidate for 45 minutes. Um, and then what they would do is a, a secondary action. They will sit down with the software developers and go through the CV. 
before we actually send it to a, a customer. So we we have that capability to really evaluate CVs before we send them across, um, which is why our CV to interview ratio is really high. Um, so we evaluate um, doing that way. Of course, you know we have a long uh, history of placing people within the industry. So from if we look at we use Bullhorn as our ATS system, we can go on there and there's pipeline of candidates for pretty much most roles within the industry of people we've placed 10 years ago, 15 years ago, two years ago. So we have, you know, we try and start them as much as we can. Some people go out on three-year contracts, some, you know, are permanent, but we're always kind of the first people to know um, who's going to be available, the finishing a contract or Generally, they just want a change of career. Um, because of our heritage, we're kind of like a first point of call. And, you know, over the years, you've built up all of those, um, that network you have. Um, so it makes it a lot easier. You know, kind of someone comes to me and says, for example, as I mentioned earlier, they need a payload engineer. I've placed dozens and dozens of pay- payload engineers. So I can easily just pick up the phone, probably on my mobile and go, okay, I'll call this person. So sometimes it's easy as that. Sometimes it's it's really hard. I mean, for some positions, we have to speak to over 200 candidates to fill one position. Wow. Which is, you know, this is why we um, provide statement of works with the RPO customers. Every month we send them a list of how many people that we've spoken to, so their, their job title, name, location, everything. And some HR directors are shocked they're like, you have to speak to that many people to fit one position. And this is generally because, you know, the last few years we've had a pandemic. Um, we see a lot more loyalty from uh, uh, employees now. You know, they, they don't want to change jobs because, you know, they feel loyal to the company. Um, they can't travel. You know, that's been a big issue. Um, so we need to speak to more and more candidates to kind of source those hard positions. Do you see more remote uh, jobs being created or more on-site roles turned into remote positions? Yeah, not, I wouldn't say fully remote. Hybrid is probably the norm right now. Um, I mean, if you look at the UK, for example, just now, I think it's been announced that we work from home if we can. Um, but generally, uh, most of the companies that we work with, um, if it's a commercial role, Remote is usually okay, um, and that's wherever you are around the world, um, whether it's our Canadian clients, uh, people in Japan, um, or, or wherever. Um, remote for commercial roles usually okay. Some, a lot of the, the new ventures like to have people in the office because it creates that new buzz, the energy that they need if they're in a startup. For example, one of the startups that we work with um, in London. They like to have their people in there at least a couple of days a week because that really helps. You know, if you start a new company, you haven't met anyone only online through Teams or Zoom or whatever platform you use. Um, that's great, but it doesn't show you the whole company. So, you know, from my point of view, if you can have hybrid working moving forward, um, that's probably the best way. Um, you know, I, I miss going into an office all the time. Um from a recruitment point of view, because you don't get to see your team. You see your team, you know, more or less every day on teams. Um, But yeah, I would say generally across the industry, uh, certainly with the clients that we work with, hybrid's probably the norm now. 
but it, it seems to work. And a lot of companies save costs now on you know leasing big properties in the centre of London when they don't need to. So they can put that money and invest that back into the team and into the business, which you know kind of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hybrid also makes sense uh, because it 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 allows for a better work life balance. So yeah, especially nowadays with you know the pandemic, it's all about okay, make sure you do have good um, balance between work and home. Speaking of uh, startups, I'm assuming that the established or the traditional companies, they probably uh, take your help in recruiting all the time. But speaking of startups, at what size do they usually approach you? Because as far as I've seen about, I think the first five to 10 employees are hired based on personal net- network. Yeah. Um, normally, uh, I mean, we used to s- sit with, um, a few years back, used to go with, uh, I don't know if you know, Seraphine Capital, who do, um, so the, you know, they have cohorts there and go there and they've got maybe, as you mentioned, half a dozen people or 10 people. And so we used to kind of sit with people like them, see what's going on and so forth, and kind of know about all of these new ventures that are potentially going to be really successful. So we, we kind of watch them. Um, sometimes we try and help them uh, if we can, um, any way we can, you know, without we don't we know they don't have the capital to to use companies like us to to recruit uh, but generally when companies are leading up to a series a um normally there would be about i mean i say we have customers at the moment that have about 15 employees uh, and they've retained us as a new venture and they're going to be up to maybe 200 employees over the next few few years um, but generally, it's normally when they're about sort of 50 uh, and then they get a load of, you know, several hundred million or whatever it is nowadays, you know, um, and then they need to scale. But generally, the RPOs that we work on, the you know, they tend to be from about sort of 20 people over the course of a year to sort of 80 or so um, hires that they need to do. Do you think recruitment works differently in space sector versus other industries? Because space is small, right? The number of people are small, so it's easier to have a strong network. Easier to have a stronger network. But now it's harder to find these people because there's so many new companies. That, you know, I think last year, record investment was about $8 billion US dollars in the industry. So if you look at those sort of figures and you think, well, all these companies... Obviously, need to, they need to hire people, hundreds of people or thousands, obviously, between them. But we, where are we suddenly going to get all those people from? So, you know, it all starts from, you know, in the school classroom, get the kids involved uh, and so forth. And let's try and bring the next generation of space engineers coming coming through. But, it, I mean, it is, it is a lot tougher now. We need to speak to a lot more candidates because the candidate pool is getting smaller. And obviously, the candidate... Um, the candidates have more choice. You know, there's so many more companies that they can go to um, right now. And a lot of these companies are throwing all sorts of money to people with, say, two or three years experience. Some are earning six-figure salaries. And it's like, wow, okay, uh, an SME can't keep up with that. Yeah, absolutely. I understand. Because if I, I guess we just need to compare, uh, I don't know, the salaries uh, between Google versus SpaceX. Of course, SpaceX is many times a sexier, a cooler, an awesomer place to work, but 
yeah, if you look at the the financials, the pure financials of it, yeah, of course, there's a big difference. Yeah, I mean, these SMEs can't they can't afford to try and compete with you know, for example, in the UK, we've got people like Isotropic Systems who are doing fantastic, you know, doing fantastic well with multi beam antenna. You know, it accelerate you know the space industry and you know companies like that. We we need one hundred percent, but smaller companies can't compete with those sort of companies um so they need to then rethink their talent strategy and think okay we can't just chuck money at salaries because that's that that's not going to work um so they have to think of other usps okay where do we get these people from how do we attract them what can we give differently um that other companies don't do and we're seeing more and more of these sort of added benefits which are not don't necessarily cost anything to the company you know a day off for your birthday for example little things like this um another you know as an example other other things that they need to kind of think but the talent strategy now is so much harder for, for companies now because they can't just say okay come and work for us post an advert and people are going to apply you know unless you're like you rightly said you're an amazon or spacex or um google whoever um no one's going to apply for your jobs, frankly. Um, you, you will get people apply, but you have to go and headhunt these people. Um, and you have to focus a lot more because there's so much more competition. Interesting, interesting, yeah. Do you see any um, glaring gaps between what the companies are looking for and what the, the potential employees or the workforce has to offer? We're, we're seeing more, um, more people, well, more demand for, as I mentioned, kind of, DevOps people, cloud computing, um, front and back end engineers, EO data scientists. Um, we're seeing a big influx of these type of people that everyone is trying to hire. Um, there isn't a great, well, there's a, there's people out there, but some of the, the salaries that some companies are paying, some c- companies can't compete, you know, so they struggle to try and um, find people with that experience that they're looking for, whereas maybe a few years ago they could find these people at that at their salary, uh, at the budget. But now it's you know that they, they do struggle. So I'd say mainly within sort of software development is that's probably the biggest demand. We still have a demand for you know space systems engineers. Um, that's always going to be a big demand there. But um, software development is probably the main sort of demand we get from our customers. Another thing that I find uh, I've recently found quite interesting is I was looking at a job advertisement and then it was written in the, the you know the end of the job requirements, uh, the end of the ad, uh, that they explicitly encourage women and uh, underrepresented groups to apply. And they gave a very interesting statistic. They said that uh, men often apply to jobs if they meet just 40 to 50% of the requirements while women apply only if they meet 100%. <laughs> so do, do you also see this happening? I have no information on that, but it's, um, we, you know, f- from our point of view, I mean, as in terms of DNI, we have, um, I think about 35, within our company, we have about 35 different nationalities, 50% ma- are female, male, um, maybe even more female than male within our company, um, probably is now. Um, but generally, there's a lot of obviously we get a lot more applications from um uh, from male gender than we would female um but 
year on year, I, I, I suppose over the last couple of years, I was actually just doing um, a re- article that I'm going to um, post in the next few days um, on DNI. Uh, I think it worked out that I think it's about 48% of the people that we've placed as a company this year are female. Oh, wow. Now that does only touches part of DNI. You know, you need to obviously look at other other strategies um, uh, as well. Um, but that that was just you know one step. But I will um, post this article. Um, and it gives you a whole breakdown of the different nationalities that we've placed, different race, uh, and so on across the different geographies. Um, so yeah, once I've posted that, I'll, I'll let you know. But um, we are seeing a you know from our side diverse group applying for positions but is obviously heavily male um applicants that apply yeah it's interesting yeah definitely looking forward to your post yeah i'll check it out (laughs) um and uh speaking of now that you mentioned geographies uh of course most of the space activity i would assume is uh based in the US, American companies, but now there's also a lot more companies in Europe or Australia, other parts of the world. Um, so where do you see the most demand for work and also supply of uh, engineers? I mean, the US is always going to be the, the biggest, 60, 70% or whatever it is now. Um, Europe, you know, we're, we're doing well. Um, you know, there are obviously companies doing fantastic well, like ISI, uh, other company isotropic uh, systems we're seeing uh, the UK space sector is thriving at the moment you know we're seeing the government in the UK back in a lot a lot more space ventures um, and plowing money in, into there so I would say Europe Europe US Europe um, from our side we do work with companies in, in in the Middle East but there isn't a huge there is some growth in the UAE um uh, but we don't see huge amounts um our other cl- customers are mainly sort of um japan um china as a company we we don't work with but um generally we we see you know europe and the us as obviously the biggest um biggest segments and um there's so many companies uh within europe that want to be kind of the next I don't know whether you say SpaceX, but, you know, we want that giant company uh, in Europe. Um, you know, so, but um, it's, you know, a fantastic industry to be in. You know, we're, we're lucky. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, like I say, record investment year on year, even through a pandemic. Um, we're in a good place right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, space is uh, usually is definitely the one of the coolest spaces to be because on multiple fronts it's evolving, right? Based on technology and law, business aspects, investment. So on all yeah. fronts, it's uh, it's a very happening place. What skill set is needed to work in recruitment? Like, what kind of backgrounds do your colleagues come from? Good question. I don't think anyone wakes up and says, "I want to be in recruitment." <laughs> You know, people want to be a lawyer, a policeman, uh, astronaut. Um, you know, no one wakes up and says, I want to be a recruiter. Yeah. But in, in terms of what you need, um, in terms of education, you know, you don't need a degree. I don't have a degree. Uh, I've been in recruitment 22 years. I've been successful. So you don't need the degree. You just need the right kind of attitude and everything can be be taught. Um, you know, what we, the people that we try and recruit, are people that have a passion for the industry. You know, people who, for example, hired a senior recruiter earlier this year 
absolute, he knows more about space than I do. Uh, absolute space geek that's his words that's how he describes himself but he loves it you know he, he wants to learn he, he puts himself on eo courses and, and so forth um but he just has that passion for the industry so if you if you have that you know huge passion you want to know what positions how positions work how does this work how do those satellites go up you know launch or whatever it is to do with space um and i think once you've got that passion uh you know, obviously you have to be a people person, you know, that, that's why I did a job, you know, to, to make someone's life better, you know, often they're going to get salary, better package. Um, sometimes they will, most times they will relocate from one country to another. So, you know, you get that self-satisfaction that you've helped someone, um, you know, obviously we get paid quite well. Um, that also helps. But um, in terms of the profile that you, you need, you just need the right attitude. Um, in, in terms of anything, you know, you've got to be able to take knockbacks and so forth. I mean, I mentioned earlier, we speak, sometimes we speak to over 200 candidates to find that one candidate that we can place into the company. So, you, you know, you've got to be quite strong-willed, but don't, you know, just let that brush off your back. But recruitment, I mean, our recruitment team, uh, we've got three people in Macedonia, um, the girls there, and they absolutely... They loved interviewing candidates. I mean, only last week they were interviewing from about 12 midday to about 7, 8 in the evening, back to back, back to back. And they were having fun with the candidates. You know, um, they were really, you know, enjoying what they do. Uh, and at the same time, getting fantastic CVs across to our uh, RPO customers who are then, you know, booking interviews straight away. So you see that side of it when, you know, you've got to enjoy talking to people. You've got to enjoy, you know, some people like to do the research side of it. You know, we go onto our own system uh, database, do Boolean searches. We go on to LinkedIn, use recruiter on there. So some people like to kind of like think they're police, you know, like let's try and find or detective, try and find this person. And sometimes it's like a needle in a haystack. You know, a client says, I want one of these people and there's about six in the world it's like uh, you know left-handed astronaut or something you know but you know sometimes it's hard but people like that kind of you know to do that type of role um but yeah you've got to enjoy what you do you've got to enjoy working with people um and you know we work with different you know one thing i like about the role we're not just working in the uk we're working with different cultures so, you know, speaking with our Japanese clients, speaking with our clients in the Middle East, in the US, um, it's, it's really nice. Um, and it gives you a bit more, I don't know. I mean, I lived in the Middle East for six years, so I kind of, I loved it out there. But it's, yeah, it's just nice to have a different, not always talking to the same type of people, if that makes any sort of sense. Absolutely. It sounds actually quite fantastic. Sounds very good because... It's two things that you love, right? Talking to people and being in space and talking to people about space. So that's, it can't get better. Exactly. I mean, we're, I've been recruiting in this industry for 15 years and you're still learning every single day. Um, you know, you're never going to know fully what some of these technical roles do. Um, but, you know, I know now if someone gives me a job description or just gives me the title, I generally know what type of person they look for um so that's good you kind of learn a bit more about the industry how things are put together from someone saying okay i want a satellite to okay 
what's the process from you know the whole life cycle of getting that satellite in production and up and launched uh, and so forth so yeah i mean 100 i i enjoy you know the industry the people and the actual you know the job did you see people trying or preferring jobs which are a better culture fit like for example how much how important is uh, the right culture fit for the, the the person who for the potential employee if you should ask me that maybe 5 6 years ago i would have said probably not very important people just moving for money and that's what it was it's just about what's the salary yes or no um which as a recruiter is, is I mean, it makes our job a bit easier, but it's not nice. Um, so much more now it's, you know, everyone's, it's about the culture, you know, you, apart from your home, you're going to spend most of your time at work. So you've got to get on with the people. Um, it has to be, you know, the right setup. And I suppose the biggest struggle that a lot of uh, companies are having right now is being able to portray the, the culture when they can only do online uh, video interviews so a lot of our companies that we work with will do maybe two video interviews and then they will offer um, if they can get them into the office they would um, but a lot of times it's just with maybe someone from HR your line manager and maybe a C-level exec uh, and then you know it's from that it's very hard to, to show the rest of the team the, the business, the office, how's everything set up, how relaxed it is, or on the flip side, how it isn't relaxed. Um, so now, from a candidate perspective, we're seeing a lot more candidates very uh, cautious, should I say, about changing. And a, a lot of them aren't changing any anymore as they were before. Um, so maybe that's a part of the pandemic. Um, I don't know, but um, yeah candidates a lot more cautious now and from my point of view if I was to join any company it's all about the culture. I, I guess even employers are also very conscious about that because lately I've seen the culture fit part of the interview is almost as long as the technical interview. Yeah it has to be I mean the only advice I would give to um, uh, employers is if you can showcase that on your website remember the website is your biggest biggest selling point you know if you can have video interviews i know isotropic systems do this because i see it and think well done to you guys um if you can have video interviews with your different members of or different divisions of your um, company you can show things as a group what you do whether it's okay a staff party or celebrating someone's birthday um you know things like one of our customers is um ghg sat they name the satellites after someone's baby within the office. You know, things like that. That's a really nice touch. Um, and that, again, they're a fantastic company to work with. Their culture is amazing. Everyone that we place into that company absolutely love it. So they've got it spot on. Um, and it, that is purely down to you know, the culture. Yeah, absolutely. A picture really emphasizes the point that the company is a very family-friendly place. Exactly. You know, employees come first. You know, nowadays it's hard to, you know, well, it's very easy sorry, to forget about the employees because you don't see them as often because they're working remotely or, you know, home, different country. So, you know, it can be quite lonely as a, an employee. So when you do recognize, you know, things like this, it's, it's nice. It's a really nice touch.
Yep, absolutely. I completely uh, agree with that. So you've given a fantastic advice to uh, employers, you know, recruiters. Do you have any advice for employees? Employees? <laughs> um, it, it depends on what, you know, what kind of area they work in and, and so forth. But um, generally, I would say mo most companies are now trying to hire people within a few weeks um, because there's so much competition out there. People are going, you know, one interview, two interviews, right, we're going to offer because the, otherwise they've gone. Um, we've had that happen so many times this year where candidates available, client says, okay, we want to interview them in two weeks' time. Comes two weeks' time, candidate's already got another job. So, you know, that's, I suppose, a bit of advice to employers. Um, as a candidate, you know, th there's lots of opportunities out there. Um, all I would say is make sure you research the company first. Um, there's a lot of new ventures out there. So, you know, check their background, where they got the capital, um, so forth, what their future growth looks like. Um, but like you mentioned, look at the culture. Um, what is the setup going to be? Do you need to be on site? Is it hybrid? Whatever it is. Um, but yeah, just research the company as much as you can. Um, if there's a skill set, you know, if there's, you know, 16-year-olds listening to this or 15-year-olds, you know, you can do software development and get into that side of the business. You'll earn fantastic money. As soon as you, um, you know, post-grads will, will earn fantastic money in that sort of um, area. So if you can get into that, great um i know that's where i'm going to push my son <laughs> oh, that's that's the thing right someone getting into programming it's uh degrees are now becoming less and less of a requirement the more most most of the focus is on the skill set and the projects that they worked on yeah 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 it's i mean if you if you want to go to an agency you know isa or someone like that you have to you know 100 you have to obviously get the masters and phd but new space it's all about you know the skill set um and you know your experience more than education as such in in the us i feel that there's a lot more emphasis on the college or the university that people graduate from uh what do you think about the rest of the world not what i've seen um not too much i mean it depends on what type of role i mean for example i've placed kind of chief strategy officers now for that coming from Harvard or whatever it is, is, yeah, that, that, that gains a lot more weight. Um, but generally, most most employers that we work with don't really look at the, the university as such. We, as a recruiters, we know which universities are good. For example, in, in the Netherlands, you would have Delft um, University. Um, obviously, in the UK, we've got Surrey uh, and so forth. So you kind of know as a recruiter where good people will come from but it's not necessarily a customer will say I, I we need someone who's been educated at this place um but yeah generally uh, i mean we do have itar regulations and eu got regulations and so forth working in the space industry a lot of the times they can they do say okay it has to be a nato country where it's been where you've been gained your degree um purely because obviously they're end users or end clients. Um, but generally no one, you know, no one really looks at it too much. Not, not that I've come across anyway.
It's been a really interesting insight, Ian. If anybody listening to this podcast want to contact you, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, either via um, LinkedIn or through Sapienza uh, website. Um, but yeah, I'll connect. If anyone's looking for a job or needs help with you know growing a company or just you know some free advice on okay, we've got this issue. How can we solve it? Um, then yeah, happily get in touch and um I'll, I'll connect with anyone so but thank you thank you vishana it's been really good to speak with you yeah it's been super fascinating insights because we never really get to hear on from a recruiter's perspective so this is really fabulous and and uh, you you made sapiens such a fun amazing place to work at i'm sure you'll get a lot of applications uh thank you <laughs> thanks a lot for your time and thanks for being on the podcast you're welcome take care